0: Welcome to And It's Writing, a live stream and podcast where two writers have a few drinks and some laughs while we revise our old work. I'm DC McNaughton, speculative and historical fiction writer slash fantasy writer slash whatever. Everything. (laughs) I am currently working on a fantasy and what am I reading right now? Oh, I started The Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse. Yeah, yeah. It's, so far, it's pretty good. I'm I'm having a good time. I don't, I haven't read far enough into it to say what I'm loving the most, but I do love the way she jumps right into the first chapter, just right into the action. It's super nice. I need to get that
1: one again. I got it from the library in a batch of books, and I was only able to read part of it before it had to go back to the library. So I have to get it back again. <laughs> but there was a waitlist um so i'm avery ames adult fantasy writer and what i am reading is i just started jade city not too long ago by fonda lee um i heard a lot of good things about it and i like it's just doing a really great job of world building like immediately you get a sense of the world the like atmosphere the vibe it's got really good vibes
0: the vibe so (laughs) the vibe
1: the vibe and i'm remembering what it's like to read a book with like a bigger cast because the last couple books i've read have had kind of smaller casts so it's kind of nice to read a more expansive book again i am starting to draft again and i'm terrified by it and i don't think i remember how to do it but i do that every time so i'm gonna hope that i get into the hang of it again
0: well Tears to that, because I'm doing the same shit. (laughs) Except for, like, I'm, like, rewriting something that I've already written, but I'm, like, writing it from scratch. So I'm, like, Mm kind of looking at my old stuff and then, like, kind of writing a side-by-side, like, writing a side-by-side. And Mm -hmm. I still... Feel like I'm gonna make the same fucking mistakes <laughs> as I did on the first one. So, and right now I'm I'm I don't know if you're in the same place, but I'm uh currently in the I'm gonna wrestle with this first chapter until I die. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I'm taking my third run at this manuscript. I've written this first chapter a few times now with different, like reworking the world, reworking the characters, and so I'm I'm in that point of like, is this where I need to start? I don't know. I need to rework it. Maybe this isn't even the right place
0: yeah it's it's (laughs) the struggle is real (laughs) first chapter feels are real before we get started uh this is our usual reminder that writing is not all about rules when we're writing we sometimes need to break them as well we're both firm believers that if the rules feel too suffocating or overwhelming fuck them
1: and just write (laughs) (laughs) fuck you rules uh you just don't understand me rules um, so anyways, today we're talking about tropes and cliches, um, which is a an evergreen topic in writing. Um, so the drink that I made is based on a very common trope. I made an enemies to lovers drink, and it's got, it's not very pretty, so but that's the drink. Um, it's got green chili vodka, pineapple juice, lime juice, simple syrup, Angostura bitters, and then you top it off with seltzer. Um, so it's a little spicy, a little sweet, a little bitter, just like enemies to lovers, the trope. Um, also, if you don't have green chili vodka, I will p- share the recipe in the show notes later, but you can also infuse your own or just muddle
0: some jalapenos, and it gives you a similar effect. <laughs> and since I love rewriting tropes with little twists, I did the exact same drink, but instead of chili pepper vodka, I used jalapeno pepper vodka. <laughs> Which is- I'm rewriting the trope. Yes, you're subverting you the trope. I am not the same as everybody else. I will not... <laughs> I I am different. I'm not like other tropes. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm unique. <laughs> we're,
1: we're a little goofy today. Um we've been following as others have today the Penguin Random House Department of Justice trial and just before the podcast i shared with dc a thread um someone on twitter named ash dylan is writing like fake erotica featuring penguin random house and simon and schuster and
0: it is hilarious thank you so much ash dylan yes it's really great head on over to at the ash dylan lit a-s-h-d-y-l-a-n-l-i-t on twitter and read that sweet good erotica between Simon and Schuster <laughs> and Penguin Random House. <laughs> someone uh someone in in chat just asked which what trial?
1: <laughs> so uh this week there is a trial. Um Penguin Random House wants to buy Simon and Schuster and the Department of Justice is doing a um antitrust trial to see if that would create a monopoly or monopsony which I don't know the difference between the two but the they're different terms and they mean similar things. But they're basically trying to decide if they're going to let the merger go through. So Penguin Random House executives and Simon & Schuster executives have been taking the stand. And it's been, it's a mess. (laughs) And if you don't know how publishing works, it looks even messier. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun. If you go to Publishers Marketplace or Publishers Weekly, they've been doing a lot of coverage of it. So you can kind of see what people have done. Stephen King took the stand and had to state for the court his name and occupation. So that was funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, State your name. Was, was Stephen King for the merger or against it? He was
1: just testifying that there used to be a lot more imprints when he started and that they've been swallowed up and that, it's, it, that it seems to have affected acquisitions since he started. So it wasn't really for or against, it was just kind of saying, this is how publishing used to be, and
0: since things have merged, this is how it's changed. I just feel like exactly what need, we need in publishing right now is less people working Not
1: publishing. <laughs> well, we need less people in some <laughs> job descriptions and more people in others. Yeah. <laughs> Only a lot. Yeah. So anyways, back back to the topic. That was a fun little digression, but that is why we're a little bit silly. Drinking the pain away. <laughs> tropes and cliches first I'm going to kind of define them because there is like the academic definition of what technically tropes are and cliches are which is not what people usually call them and the academic definition is that a trope is a a device that is commonly used that people recognize as a device to mean something and a cliche is usually a specific phrase so a cl- cliche would be like desadornail People never use it that way. So that's not really how I'm going to use it, but I did want to acknowledge that we know that's what they technically mean. <laughs> people generally use trope to mean, they do use it to mean that, like an, a thing that is commonly used that people recognize. Um, and cliche, people tend to use as a term to mean an overused trope, which is subjective. <laughs> <laughs> but I did kind of want to mention that that's, that's the definition, and we're going to kind of discuss them as the. As, as the literary devices, in a way. Also, I just saw in the comments that the uh, Penguin Random House thing needs to be an episode. And maybe we'll do, maybe we'll record like a mini episode on that or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, we could just sit and listen to us stress really hard about, <laughs> about it, you know? It's a great time to
1: be on sub to publishers. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, on tropes and cliches, why do you think they usually get a bad rap? Because a lot of people are like, oh, that's a, that's so tropey. And they say it derogatively a lot of times.
0: I feel like when they get, I feel like when it gets a bad rap, it is because either, so, okay, I think the bad rap comes from people seeing unique ideas a long time ago. This was a long time ago. Uh, they they saw unique ideas and then they decided, well, that idea is making money. so. I'm gonna do it, and that's like I'm talking like a hundred years ago, back when like Disney first started, and they're like, okay, let we just we're taking all these stories that you know were very successful, and we're gonna make them into movies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Alice in Wonderland, yada yada yada, and and at that point, it almost becomes a trope mm-hmm. because like like a lot of people have remade different things, and this is kind of where the trope is born. And then I think that bad rap continues as people kind of try to do their own thing with it. And then they don't change mm-hmm. enough. Like it, it, it looks, what started out as a Disney money grab has become something that's being something that the fan has become attached to. And, and then is now like, I want to make something in that universe too, because I love this trope and it looks I, like, I don't know. I've never had this feeling. First of all, like, I've never saw, I've never seen somebody's tropey writing and thought, oh, this is tropey garbage. I'm just like, this person is writing the thing that they like to write. And I think that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'd like certain tropes too. But some people get really up in arms about it. And they're like, this is tropey. It's been done before. It's cliche. Like, everybody is doing this. And why are you doing this? And shouldn't you be doing something unique and original? And I think that's, I think that bad rap was sort of born from people using an idea or or recycling an idea as a means of being lazy. But not everybody who's writing tropes is being lazy. In fact, 99% of people writing tropes are not being Mm -hmm. lazy. They're just getting sucked into something they really, really like, and they're writing their own version of it. Um, But I do think that's where the bad rap came from. Mm -hmm. That's not me saying I agree. I definitely don't, you know.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people just kind of got to the point where they, it gets a bad rap because of the, like, quest for something new and original. And it's like, well, tropes aren't new and original, but they do serve a purpose. They help people find what they like, especially in genres like romance. Romance is marketed on tropes. Like, you'll see Mm -hmm. in the blurb or in, like, the, you know, the marketing tweet, hey, buy this romance, is this is an enemies to lovers, slow burn. They'll even mention the smaller tropes like fake dating or just one bed, all these things. And they'll mention it because people are like, I like that one. <laughs> so mm-hmm. people use that to find the things they like. And um, I mean, I've done this. I've written tropes. Cambiari is really just all my favorite tropes just thrown in a blender. Oh, yeah. Because that that's my self-indulgent fun tropey series. And anybody who likes those same tropes is going to be into it. Anybody who doesn't is not. And I know because I can see somebody say, hey, this is in, you know, this trope is in my book and it may be something I'm not into. And I can go, huh, ah, that one's not for me. And so yep. it can help in the same way that like genres can help categorize books and help you find what you want. It's it's the AO3 mm-hmm. tag like <laughs> function, yeah. which for those who are not familiar, AO3 is Archive of Our Own. It's a fan fiction repository and they have a very robust tagging system people will list you know this has this trope this trigger you know it's this type of fiction it's set in this type of world like in little tags at the top of the story so you can immediately read all the tags and go yep i'm in or nope i am out
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah see i i love my thing is like i love writing from a trope i use a trope to start and then i'm like how do I take this and tilt it on its head? Like, how do I put it on its head? Mm-hmm. And that for me is really fun. Um, I think most of the books that I have planned, even the one I I have started to work on again, you know, it uses some tropes like immortal, fate, that kind of bullshit. But I'm, I'm taking it and I'm turning it on its head. I'm doing, I'm like, how can I make this something that no one's ever done with this trope? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also did this with the wishes trope on um, the Three Wishes trope back yeah. a couple books ago, and I it is just so fun to just not you know turn it over and and surprise the readers of this trope with something maybe they haven't seen, and even surprise people who who don't like tropes with something they haven't experienced from a trope, and then you know change their mind about what tropes really are. And
1: I was just gonna say, I will say you used one of my often least favorite tropes but you interrogated it in this exact work and you interrogated it in a way that I found really interesting because I really like when people question some of the tropes sometimes. Which trope was it? The faded, the soulmates trope, the fated soulmates trope.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) And I will say
1: to avoid using your work as an example, I will use another example Mm -hmm. of the same trope and a piece of media that used it in a way that I thought was interesting. I I generally don't like the fated soulmates trope personally because I feel like it removes character agency. Totally, but some people like it. But one of my favorite things growing up was the ElfQuest comic book series, the graphic novels. And in ElfQuest, they have a faded mates trope where people mm-hmm. lock eyes, and it's it's like a reproduction thing. It's like they lock eyes, they do it, they have a baby. That's the only way they can have a baby is that they have this like soulmate connection. <laughs> But the this, this series really, and so the series really interrogates this. There's a couple that's like a long-term, like monogamous. Well, they're not monogamous, but they're a long-term committed couple who want to have a child, and they can't because they've never had this connection. They've never had the like faded mates. They're not
0: monogamous.
1: Oh no. Oh, good. But then they also interrogate what happens if you have this soulmate connection with someone that you hate. They explore like what happens if you don't like someone, what happens if you connect to some what if happens if you're in a relationship with one person and you connect to another person and those two people hate each other. And they they really interrogate like every possible permutation of what could go wrong with this trope. And I really liked that because it was it was doing something different and subverting it in a way that I don't want to say I didn't see before because I read Elfquest when I was probably. Younger than I should be reading ElfQuest, <laughs> but it's a way that I haven't seen in a lot of media. And you kind of did something similar, where you're you're interrogating the trope and going, "Okay, what happens if things go a little sideways from it?"
0: I'm glad that you liked it, first of all. But that is just what I love seeing in in tropes. Mm-hmm. Like I liked, for whatever reason, I really liked the way that George R. R. Martin used the dragon trope. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there's a lot of very samey, same dragon-related stuff out there. And George R. R. Martin's was much the same, but it was also kind of cool just to see the hierarchy of people and dragons. Mm-hmm. Like, it was really neat. Like, he did it in, in a way that made it very, like, new for me, even though I know those books are very old, but some of them haven't even been written yet. So <laughs> are they old? We just don't know.
1: They're old and new at the same
0: time. <laughs> Yes, yes, that series has been getting written for like 25 years. So. Yeah. Um <laughs> but yeah, I I love I love a good trope. Like when I really think about it, I feel like there are very few books out there that don't use some kind of a trope that oh. aren't like okay, literary fiction tends to like there's a lot less tropiness going on there, but like outside of the literary fiction genres, I feel like there's a lot more chance to have a trope like people make it work
1: yeah especially in any sort of genre fiction because you're going to have tropes in your thrillers in your cozy mysteries in your like said especially in romance and in fantasy sci-fi there are just tropes that are going to recur. it's just about like said kind of using them to find your audience but kind of segueing back towards the sample kind of in that why they get a bad rap is there are some of them that are I think a lot of the reason they do get a bad rap is when they are used, and I don't want to say badly because that's so subjective, but like you said, when they don't do anything that you haven't seen a million times before, even just a little bit. And in this case, it's going to be when you pile a lot of them on top of each other. (laughs) We're going to find out. Because you can use a lot of like common tropes together if that's what your audience is looking for. (laughs) But that's going to be a big, it's very subjective. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, do we want to start looking at the example?
0: (laughs) Sure. Let's do it.
1: We may try to edit it. We may just kind of point out what we think is not
0: good about it. Now, I don't mean to stop you, but I'm going to stop you. Are we going to be looking for cliches in this? Um, It's
1: mostly tropes. There might... Okay, because I was going to say, we didn't
0: actually talk about cliches. We
1: didn't, but we could talk about them really quick. There may be a couple in there. Um, It wasn't really what I was looking for when I picked the sample, and I don't remember off the top of my head.
0: Okay, we can always save cliches for another episode. We
1: could. We could do like a supplementary mini episode on cliches, because I do think that they they are something that is more objectively to be avoided yeah. than tropes but they're a smaller topic in that, that you can go over them a bit quicker so we might and if mm-hmm. we have time at the
0: end maybe we'll go over them then too yeah i'm curious about this uh excerpt because it it's a trope isn't really something you can edit so i am curious uh
1: yeah that's why i was like we may just kind of go over and go why why these tropes all pile together make this less interesting to read, specifically this sample. For sure. So yeah, we'll read it and then we'll just discuss it. And then we'll see where we want to go.
0: Sounds great. Are you reading it or am I?
1: I'll read it. But first I want to give kind of the audience a quick heads up. Okay. This is another old piece from, I think, late high school. Um, It is the opening scene to a young adult dystopian novel. And in my defense, it was like 10 years before Hunger Games. So it wasn't quite a completely saturated market yet. Lynette blinked and sat up, rubbing sleep out of her moss-green eyes. She rolled over and lazily slammed her hand onto the snooze button of her antique alarm clock. The grating beeps finally stopped, and she noted the time, 6.30 a.m. She groaned as she stretched. Oof, no human being should get up this early. It's inhumane. She stood up and stepped over to the clothing scattered on her floor, making a mental note to tidy up after class. Lynette closed her eyes sleepily as she let the hot water flow down her back. After showering, she rifled through her closet. Black was definitely the dominant color. Lynette selected clinging pants and a black long-sleeved turtleneck with black boots to match. Pulling her burgundy hair into a high ponytail, she took a last glance at herself in the mirror before walking down to breakfast. <laughs> almost, almost absent-mindedly, she noticed she looked slightly older than her 19 years. It was something in the eyes, despite their vivid olive green color an expression that suggested resignation. She sighed and turned into the hallway towards the cafeteria. Lynette! Her friend Carissa shouted sharply from the end of the hallway, her dark eyes hiding impatient sparks. Hurry up. You're going to be late for the ceremony, and they won't be lenient if you forget again. So, this is a whole bunch of tropes cobbled together. <laughs> so, we've got I'm going to list a few of them. And if you noticed any others, let me know. We've got starting with waking up, we've got going through the morning routine, which is kind of part of the starting with waking up. We've got the looking at yourself in the mirror, we've got the like starting the story being late for something. We've got the describing yourself in the mirror, which is part of the looking in the mirror. So we've got, like, one, two, three, four paragraphs. And we've got, like, four really common, especially in YA, tropes.
0: Oh, and the sigh. Oh, the sigh. I feel like the sigh is a mini trope, all of its own. <laughs> Where was the sigh? <laughs> Fucking she sighed and turned into the hall. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, that's not really a trope. Well, at
1: least she didn't let out a breath she didn't know she was holding. <laughs> Uh, but I think maybe we can just kind of discuss like why this isn't working as it is and I think it's exactly what you said that it's not bringing anything new to the table
0: yeah this is like this is very classic this is why everybody okay so you're that person right okay you're a person and you're like you've written a great book And it starts with somebody waking up. And somebody has just told you that uh, starting a book with somebody waking up is super tropey, cliche, and agents don't like it. And now you're panicking because you really need this person waking up in the beginning of the book. And that's (laughs) that's a really hard thing for you to hear. I will say it can be done. I will say that I've actually had agents tell me in my face to fix it when Mm -hmm. I did it. Also, what I will say is, I've had other agents be like, "Well, I want to represent you, so I don't care if it's trophy. So, um, do what you love, but this is the classic thing that agents don't want, is waking up for no reason. Yes. You're waking up because it's an easy place for your head to start. You're starting in a place that's not really necessary because nothing's really happening not really not not anything you can't show on the page in a scene with more action or something more unique or colorful something that's really going to surprise shock your reader right at the bat because there's nothing here that to me is a hook i mm-hmm. mean um, you want a hook in like your first two paragraphs and you can't really have a hook if you're showing somebody waking up now you could have a hook if you did it the right way but it's you know you have to do it the right way and do you want to fall into that you know one percent that's that's rough, yeah. you know, and that's
1: exactly what I was going to say was the reason- we kind of wanted to touch on the reason why a character waking up is a is a trope that a lot of people don't like, and it's because usually that's not where the story actually starts, like you said, it's an easy place to start it mhm there's there's nothing there's nothing like you said there's nothing happening here, kind of like we we went over one recently that was on I actually don't remember what the episode was about, but we had a character waking up and you changed it. So the character was waking up from a nightmare and rushing out the door. And that's something happening. Um, This is a very similar situation, but there's nothing Mm -hmm. interesting happening. She's, she's waking up, she's looking in the mirror, she's putting on her clothes and you can almost do this if you're doing something that's like you said, that's a hook but we're not getting anything terribly interesting about the character. I'm telling you about the character, but it's not nothing to sink your teeth into.
0: Yeah. There's there's nothing to say. This is why this sleep is extraordinarily un- unusual, uh-huh. because like if you're going to have somebody waking up from sleep in your first chapter, you want it to read as extraordinary or unusual. And if there's nothing that's showing that sleep being extraordinary or unusual, then it probably shouldn't be there. So that is when I would advise you to to change it because that that is why the waking up thing is so you know because you do the same thing when you wake up you wake up you brush your teeth oh you know it kind of yeah I don't know if we have pub do we publish the episode yet where we talked about that movie in Stranger Than
1: Fiction yeah I think we did because yes it was the inciting incidents we were talking about inciting incidents so that one has been published
0: okay yeah yeah so like if you. So the beginning of that story, there's a man waking up, right? Mm -hmm. But we find out that that's extraordinary very fast because there's a narrator involved Mm -hmm. with his waking up and he hears the narrator while he's staring in the mirror and that's extraordinary. So in that case, it it works. Mm
1: -hmm. And in this case, like the place where something interesting happens is at this ceremony that she's late to. So if I were... Going through and revising the story now, that is where I would start the story. Maybe just heading into give you a little bit of world building. This part, like I said, it's, it's not, and it's not telling you anything about this world. It's not telling you anything about the character as a character, except that she's not a mourning person, which is a trait, but it's not like a particularly hooky trait. There's nothing in this that makes the reader go, ooh, there's no questions raised here.
0: Yeah. See, like if this were mine and I had to, you know, if if I was a re if I was a writer and I said, I have to start near this scene, I would actually start it with like, like halfway through because you could do like Lynette pulled her burgundy hair into a high ponytail and took one last glance at herself in the mirror before walking down to breakfast. She noticed that she looked slightly older than her 19 years if that's imperative to the story, that's actually a hook in and it of itself. Like, why do I look, why do I look older than I should? I would also get rid of slightly, but <laughs> there's a lot of things yeah. about this writing I would definitely change, which is actually why I didn't read it the way the way that it's written. Uh, if I didn't need to start it down here, I would start it at the ceremony that has been mentioned. So, is there really a ceremony? Does the ceremony even? Is that mentioned here anywhere?
1: Yeah, it says you're going to be late for the ceremony and they won't be lame yet.
0: Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, see, I would just, I would start at the ceremony with her running in, you know, mm-hmm. late. Because that's, that's funny.
1: And this is kind of a trope. It kind of ties into a future episode topic about describing appearances. But one of the tropes is the looking in the mirror to describe what your character looks like. And... You can get away with that to an extent if there's something notable about the appearance. Um, Like she noticed she looked older than, you know, older than 19, but just looking in the mirror and being like, I have red hair and blue eyes and you you don't want to, you want to do something that's interesting about your character. If they're going to do, if they must look in the mirror, because you did it once and I didn't even notice that you had done it. Because it was the way to show your reader that your character wasn't
0: human. Yeah, uh, but see, I also got in trouble for that. Okay, <laughs> so, the, so the instance that Avery is describing is from one of my books. I wrote uh, from the perspective of like an anthropomorphic cat. And I decided that it was okay for him to look in the mirror at the beginning of the book. Because he was obsessing over his eye color. Yeah, Because his eye color was, it ran in his family that anybody who had all, uh, anybody who had Uh, Hazel eyes would get Alzheimer's and he's thinking that he has Alzheimer's in the very beginning chapter and he's like standing in front of the mirror looking at his eyes like trying to like decide if he's got Alzheimer's or not and I thought that that would be okay and it also showed that he was a cat, Mm -hmm. you know, because he's got ears and shit but like I tell you what, Beta still yelled at me for it and I don't know if it was because like I didn't do it well enough. Or if it's just because they had been it, they had been trained to know that that was a trope, and they're like, don't do that! Mm-hmm. Don't you describe your character in the mirror! And I was like, what? Really? Like, I thought...
1: Uh. I think there is an element of knee-jerk reaction to it. There is an element of like, like, ah, you shouldn't do this because I've been told not to do this. And just like any rule, I think that, you know, like we say, the rules are... You can say fuck you. Um, but I think <laughs> just like with every rule that it does exist for some reason, and it's worth interrogating that reason and going, no, it's worth breaking this time. Um, and I thought in your case it was, because honestly, I didn't even notice it, and I'm usually pretty sensitive to the looking in a mirror trope.
0: Gee, thanks, mister. <laughs> it,
1: I think it was the novelty of like, ah, he's a cat.
0: That's a cat. Yeah. That's a cat looking in the mirror. That's what I thought would happen, but people were still kind of pissed yeah. off, so <laughs> I don't know. And in this case,
1: she's just being like, oh, my, like I said, you know, the the I look older than 19. I actually would probably, like you said, I think starting there, I would cut the burgundy hair because, like I said, we'll go into description of appearances later, future episode. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye out for that one. But saying, you know, she pulled her hair in her ponytail and realized she looked a lot older than 19 and maybe give a hint as to maybe why. Enough to raise a question. Like I said, I think that's the big thing here. There is no hook. There are no questions. The only question is at the very end, and it's like, well, what is this ceremony? Yeah. And the being late just reminds me, I just, I grew up with anime. (laughs) So I keep seeing it, I keep thinking of, (laughs) like, the anime character who's, like, shoving the sandwich in their face as they're, like, walking out the door. I'm like,
0: bye, mom! Fucking Naruto running out the door. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I'm late to
1: school! (laughs) The Sailor Moon, like, running out the door, and that's what I'm just picturing in my head. But yeah, so this is kind of where... Like I said, I don't know if we can edit this because it's really just... Yeah, yeah, no, I see. This is when a a bunch of tropes are layered on top of each other
0: and people are reading it and going, there's nothing new here. Boy, boy, would I just really love to edit this sometime on a writing mechanics episode, though, because... Oh, yeah. There's some stuff here. that we could talk about. There's a lot of stuff here, just writing mechanic wise.
1: I might save this one for a future kind of another clunky prose extravaganza where we just go through. Oh yeah. Cause there's a lot of rough just writing. I mean, this is first draft Yeah, and it's first draft of me 20
0: years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It would be, it would be fun, but it might be more, I think beneficial just to talk about what are some of like the other trope? So we've got like Mm -hmm. the trope of waking up and also looking in the mirror. What are a couple other ones that people might be like bashing their head against where they have it, you know, they have it and they're like what do I do with this? It's part of my book. How do I pull this off?
1: Honestly, those are two those are two of the biggest in my book because like I said a lot of times they're not needed. A lot of the other tropes are there because people enjoy
0: them. I'm coming up blank. Do you have any There was one that I was told with my most recent book uh, about not um, not starting a novel with a character that has amnesia. Oh. That's a big, apparently a big no-no, because guess what? I definitely got an agent with a book that started with a character that had amnesia, and I got told by plenty of people to not do that. (laughs) Uh, Apparently I pulled it off, but apparently it's like a big frown upon, because it's like... (laughs) I guess it's like too easy. Of course, your character forgot everything. And that's why they're going to, especially in first person, because if your character gets amnesia at the beginning of the book, then you have a reason to give them to tell the story up until now or something. And I guess it just looks like a a cop out, I guess, is kind of what I was told. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily agree, but I've also never read it. I've never read myself a book where somebody got amnesia at the beginning. So like, I am like, oh, this is all new to me. So it's interesting and, you know, I don't care, but, you know, I got slapped up and down for that one. I think you did it well, but that should be,
1: I may be biased. So I found, I just Googled real quick on my phone, I found the overused story tropes we've got a little time. So I think maybe we could talk about each one and why we think. Yeah, let's do that. Why we think they're overused and when they might be worth using. So number one is the love triangle. (laughs) I use a lot of love triangles, to be honest. Uh, Not a lot, but I have used it. I think the time that it's quote-unquote bad is when you can tell from the get-go who's going to quote-unquote win the love triangle. Also, it's very like, it's usually very straight-centric and very monogamy-centric. It's very like, I must only choose one of these two boys. The broody one or the nice one. And you can always tell the author loves the broody one and it's always going to be the broody one, but they just threw the nice one in to try to create conflict. Not always, but that's when I get bored with it. If everybody seems like they're a good candidate, then there's part of you, there's always part of me that's like, why not both?
0: My current work in progress has a love triangle.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I've used it. The book that's on submission right now has a love
0: triangle. Yeah, I feel like the ones... I feel like the ones that get kind of exhausting are just the ones where basically a girl, usually, is left to choose between two guys. First of all, I haven't seen a lot of guys having to choose between two other guys. I want to see more of that. Mm -hmm. Again, this is about just turning the trope on its head and saying, well, I'm going to use it this way because this hasn't been done very much. Boy, would I love to see that. Or maybe, like, a girl like, trying to choose between two guys, but the guys are already fucking and cheating on her (laughs) behind her back, you know? Like, maybe, like, just something, like, I don't know, to shake it up a bit, Mm -hmm. like, make it interesting. Yeah, I make mine interesting in other ways that I'm not going to go into right now, but, um, you could make it a very unusual love triangle, like, like, really make sure they don't fit together at all. Mm -hmm. Just, you know? I think,
1: yeah, as long as there's an authentic conflict that feels multi-dimensional then it makes sense. Um, but sometimes it feels just shoehorned in because you're trying to create artificial conflict and that's when I get like <laughs> um number two is the evil one and it's basically just saying a character that's just straight up evil. Just cause. And that one's I feel like that's kind of true, but that's more of a character problem. And it's just give your characters motives and goals and Backstory.
0: You got to have a character with motives and goals. So if you have a character that's just straight up evil just to be evil, and I have seen, you know, some beta reads have come my way where it does feel like there's just an antagonist that is evil just to be evil. And if you think that you have an ant, if you've been told that your antagonist doesn't seem to have a motivation for being evil and it's just being evil, it probably means that you haven't made your antagonist's goal and their backstory like. Available enough to your reader, so if you're sort if you're currently trying to get past an issue like this, I would just really suggest seeing if you could buff out your antagonist a little bit and give him more to live for um, because evil is always best when it's smart and needy. that's the best kind of evil
1: the chosen one a lot of people complain about chosen ones. I don't think this is necessarily a bad trope except that Again, it's the same thing. It's that I want to see something a little different because it is something that has been done so many times that I just want to see it shaken up a little bit. And I feel like this kind of goes, dovetails with the prophecy trope, which (laughs) is one that I like, I personally like to see subverted.
0: I'm laughing because my current whip has all of these and I'm just like, ah! (laughs) I know! But you subvert them you do something
1: interesting with them um like you said it's you're exploring the nuances of what if this tro- you're really like digging into the trope instead of just like
0: yes i was very transparent that i love taking tropes and just turning yeah. them on their heads like and i definitely do i guys i'm self like i'm a self-proclaimed <laughs> genius at this i do it really well <laughs> hey i don't i don't even turn them on their heads sometimes professional driver on a closed course do not attempt at home
1: <laughs> on cambiari or in Campari, we've got like a list of tropes that are just not even subverted it's just like i'm doing the thing i like we've got fake dating we've got only one bed we've got masquerade we've got so i don't even have like a ground to stand on but i do think the chosen one is one a lot of people do get bent out of shape about and i think mm-hmm. like i said that it's that i think it if I were to guess, I think it comes down to
0: character agency. Yep, it definitely does. Yep, it, it, it does. Because like if it's a chosen one thing, like literally anything they do, if it shows up later as being like part of the prophecy, it totally takes their agency away. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I've had to combat, you know, like I have to make sure that my character's actions are actually doing something against prophecy like so that she does have agency and it's it, it's very difficult you know it is difficult to get right but you can do it um you everybody listening all of our <laughs> listeners you guys got this yeah you can explore any so, trope yeah you can write tropes y'all yeah <laughs> you might as well Simon <laughs> Schuster and Random and Brandon House aren't even gonna be separate <laughs> companies anymore just write where the fuck
1: you want oh in chat we have I don't mind most tropes, but the unreliable narrator gets me cranky every time but one. First of all, I kind of want to know what time that is, um, so type that in. But I will admit, I have a problem with unreliable narrators when it feels adversarial to the reader. When it feels like the writer's trying to be smarter than you. It's like, nah, na na nah nah, 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 I got one over on you because I lied to you. And I'm like, well, you didn't give yeah. me all the information. But if you have, like, hints... Oh, and the the chat says it's the novel Moriarty, which I haven't read. He likes that one? Oh, yeah. That's the one that did not make this person cranky by Anthony Horwitz. Okay. My favorite unreliable narrator, and I can say this, is is actually not in a book. It's in a video game. And it's Varric from Dragon Age 2 because he's narrating the story. And kind of in the prologue, you get that he's narrating the story to basically like an interrogator who's asking him like what happened. And he's like, here's what happened. And from the very beginning, you start getting like really dramatic hints that it's not the way it's, he says it was. Cause he starts like this prologue and the interrogator goes, Wait, 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 wait. You're exaggerating. Tell me the real story. And he's like, Okay. And then there's a couple of times throughout the story where he, you can tell he's exaggerating and they like stop the story and go back. And then later you're like, Well, what other things was he lying about? And you can kind of think about it that way. Um, so I think if you're a little transparent, or give enough clues that the, re- that the narrator is unreliable. That's fine for me personally. It's when we get 80 the, 80% of the way through the story. And you find out the person was lying the whole time. And there were no clues. That it bothers me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to set up the reliable. Narr- if you're going to have an unreliable narrator that, that, that is that unreliable. You have to set up certain pieces in the beginning. So that the reader can tell. That this narrator is either lying or something's really messed up because then you get the reader by they're thinking the entire time. Okay, what pieces am I missing because this unreliable narrator is consuming me? I want to say it's a oh I can't even fucking remember the name of that book right now. It's so good too. Oh yeah, I feel I feel like um the narrator in Piranesi is a little unreliable in that he comes across so naive. Mm. um but you know that he's naive at the beginning of the book like there are things that he does that show that naivete and you're like okay this character is a little naive I don't know if I can tr- I can trust them about as much as I can trust a 10 year old you know <laughs> so like and, and that sort of like kind of takes you th- through the book and you're like oh wow what am I not What like, what am I missing because of this narrator and that can get kind of fun but Definitely, if you have an unreliable narrator that is just plain rude, lies all the time and like gives no heads up whatsoever, it gets very frustrating very fast Mm -hmm. because a reader wants to to feel in charge when they're reading. They don't want to feel blindsided. That's never a feeling that someone wants. Uh, The chat says, I'm
1: currently reading the Black Prism Lightbreaker series by Brent Weeks. And the fact that he changes from first to third person at odd times, and one of the characters Boy. is clearly unreliable, but I can't place how. See, that's when I kind of, I'm not sure how I would feel about this switching first to third person just on a personal, because I would find it a little bit jarring. But if you're like going, okay, you're not telling me everything, that's, that's when they're kind of placing the right seeds, I think, to kind of start make you questioning. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel the same way about unreliable narrators that are, you know, tossed in at the final hour, as I do about twists that are not foreshadowed, it's kind of that same philosophy If you want, you want to start the readers, you want the readers to be pleasantly surprised, like, oh, I should have seen this coming, not, where did this come from? <laughs> right. So, okay, I have one more trope that I have found from the Googles, and it is, and this is more common in YA and middle grade, probably more YA, and it's the dead parents. <laughs> <laughs> and that. Dead parents. I, and instead or absentee parents, because I'll admit a lot of times I use dead or absentee parents because they're not part of the story, but a lot of that is because mine are not YA and the character's an adult, and it's like, well, my parents are off doing their own thing. A lot of times, like the YA dead parents is like almost a joke in the community at this point uh because a lot of times you can tell it's just the author being like it's the same thing i do it's like well they're not really a part of the story the easiest way to get them out of the story is to make them dead <laughs> i mean batman is but batman it's a motivating factor which does help a little bit versus there's some you know ya fantasies in particular where it's just like it doesn't really come back up again they're just not there <laughs> or it does the occasional like oh my parents are gone." Um versus like Batman, the reason he's Batman is you know,
0: from like this whole trauma story that he has. That being said, there don't feel bad if you have some dead parents up in your book because there definitely are situations like for instance, like, I don't know a lot about Chronicles of Narnia, but there's a lot of books like it where. Um, the absence of parents sends the kid to a different house or a different, uh, like a different place of living. Mm-hmm. And then they then have to explore that new life. And I think that that can be made interesting with the right setup. Um, you just got to make sure you're not setting it up the same way that so many other books already have. Like, yeah, I don't know. to Get, get freaky with it. <laughs> like, like if the parents are going to disappear and leave the kid like this, like maybe just Really fuck yeah. <laughs> up the kid or something like, I like, do something like really messed up.
1: Someone in chat said, well, this whole story wouldn't happen if the character had parents to make sure they don't get into trouble. And that's the problem with a lot of the middle grade YA, because if you have like, parents who are actively parenting, you know, the character's like, I'm going to go off on this adventure and like, go find the magical artifact. The parents are like, no, you're
0: not going to do that. So, that's a lot of the reason people get rid of them. Humor me, people writing dead parent stories. See if your story is more interesting, writing instead a parent who is ignorant and irresponsible. Because um, that might be even more fun than just removing them. Just be like, okay, uh, my character needs to get into trouble, but uh, their parent is not parenting because they're a bad parent. And this is what it looks like. That could be fun. One last trope to talk about. And this is
1: one that I think is objectively bad. There are very few cases where I will say a trope is objectively bad and this one is Bury Your Gaze. Don't do it. Bury Your Gaze is when like the only queer character and sometimes there's kind of like an offshoot of that where it's the only diverse character of any kind, any character that's not white, cis, straight is the one that dies.
0: (laughs) Oh, jeez. Optics.
1: Yeah, and that it's a less common now, but it was, I mean, for a long time it was just like, well, there's gay character they're going there goes the game there they man. go now we're only left with the straight people um so it says i will find you and send you microfine glitter that's that's the only <laughs> trope that i can think of off the top of my head that i'm just gonna be like don't do it now you can kill a gay character if everyone in your story is gay or multiple people are queer and there's one of them that happens to die that's fine but if you've got like the token person that is not white cis straight person and that's the one that dies
0: don't kill your token gay person i mean that kind of goes into tokenism don't have token if you are going to kill your token gay person well first of all don't have a token gay person have a gay person when you should actually have a gay person or fill your book with gay people because you can't yes but also kill somebody else first or something i don't know oh okay (laughs) another one that i would say is objectively
1: bad is just came up in chat which is the fridging Fridging of women to motivate the males, which I don't know anybody who's not familiar with this term yet. It's pretty common now, but anybody who's not familiar with it, it I'm it not. comes from a comic book where a male comic book character came home to find that his girlfriend had been, like, chopped up by the villain and put in the refrigerator. Like, murdered. Oh! And that's, it comes, fridging a woman character comes from the term, like, it's when you murder the main character's wife or sister or mother so that his man pain can motivate the story. And like that character, the only purpose she serves
0: is to die,
1: is to die and cause man yeah. pain. And now there are stories, we're getting more common now, where like the fridged character is not necessarily a woman. But if a character exists only to be murdered for the sake of your character to feel angsty, there are ways to explore that that feel more three dimensional. And a lot of times it's not.
0: I think that goes also just for the kind of the gay thing that we talked about earlier like don't have a character exist just to to serve somebody who who is underrepresented and don't have them have the only thing they do die like don't have them be in the book just to die or just to be the underrepresented character that's not right so yeah i would just say in general don't don't do that um, some people have an issue when the dog dies, just to drive the story forward, um, which for a long time I also did, uh, I had a problem with. And then I saw, what, John Wick, is it? Uh-huh. Where the dog dies and he goes on a fucking <laughs> yes. escapade. Like, I was just like, this is perfect. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, where
1: it took the trope and made He's it so like... So
0: mad about his dog dying.
1: <laughs> By the way, just for posterity, the, uh, the term fridging came up uh from gail simone popularized it through the website women in refrigerators and it was a green lantern storyline oh okay that where it happened but yes and i mean there are characters like we talk batman's parents exist to be fridged but they also
0: get fridged more or less before the story starts we get flashbacks occasionally yeah you don't need to know that batman's parents i mean you Mm -hmm. kind of know it just by the way he acts and what he does and how he brings it up but it's not, not really on screen, at least not most of the time these days. Yeah. And
1: that's also an older story. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of before Fridging became quite known as a thing. But yeah, we're kind of
0: coming up on our time. Our next episode is on August 19th. We are excited to announce that we're going to sort of add a segment to our podcast where we basically interview people with specific expertise or life experiences to discuss tips on how to better write those topics. That way we can sort of like, you know, approach people that are in these positions, these jobs that might not have anything to do with writing and sort of give you guys who are writers a place to look for really good information on those kind of people. Um, Mm -hmm. Our first interview, we will be talking with the illustrator, Matthew Spencer, about his experiences being... Um, trans, and his advice on writing trans characters.
1: Yes, it's going to be very exciting. Then also you can find everything about the podcast that you need at anditswriting.com. Look us up on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podcatchers, anywhere you listen. You can also follow us on Twitter at anditswriting for any episode updates and notifications. Also, we are happy to announce we are on Feedspot's list of top 70 writing podcasts. So check out the show notes later for a link to the list. And if you like what you're hearing, join our Discord group. Check out the website for more details for that. And thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you again soon. Bye. Bye.